How's everybody doing? You guys all right? All right. Pulley, can you turn me up a little bit? One, two, check. Hey. Welcome to Uncle Scotchy's Storytelling Extravaganza, ladies and gentlemen. This is what we do every Wednesday night. We've been recording the podcast. This is going to be our 30th week, uh, our 30th Wednesday in a row. We pulled it off, so uh, I'm pretty excited for this for this night. Um, the podcast has been going really well, and it's been amazing to meet all the storytellers and hear the stories. If you guys have a story that you're telling to each other, please uh, keep it a considerate level. It's not easy to tell some of these very personal stories once people get up here. Uh, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Breckenridge Bourbon. Yes, bourbon. And um, cheese stands alone. The food is amazing. So please, uh, yes, it really is. I'm not just saying that. You're not paying me to say that. But uh, let's get this going. Uh, we got four storytellers again tonight. We actually might have a, a special guest come in to do a fifth as well. So get this rolling right now. I'm excited to hear this guy's story. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, coming up on the stage now, Mr. Alex Tarno. Come on up, buddy. A slow walk up on stage. All right. Yeah. Uh, it's because I'm a fat guy, dude. It's, it's the, <laughs> the only reason why it's a slow walk. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to jump right into it. Uh, during coronavirus, around March, I got Baker acted, right? Uh, <laughs> so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyone know what Baker Act is? Yes, yes okay. Uh, has anyone been Baker Acted here? No. No? All right, only one. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. It's okay. Um, so, I imagine this. This has actually scientifically been proven that it takes about three days without sleep to completely lose your mind. You're legally considered insane. I went five days without sleep. <laughs> so that's like already like an insane amount of time to go without any sleep. And the whole time while I was doing this, I was also like trying to figure out how to bring our economy back, right? Like I, <laughs> I, was, I was doing shit like growing plants, uh, trying to figure out how to market businesses, I would do this shit on my stories where, like, I would take a photo of a local business that was open because so many people were afraid to leave their house. I'd be like, extra, extra, read all about it. Local business is coming through. And I was just up all the fucking time, right? And eventually my parents were like, man, there's something wrong with this kid. There's something fucking wrong with this kid. And I was like, you know what? I'll prove to you that there's nothing wrong with me, and I will go into the hospital myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm setting myself up for failure almost immediately, right? And I go to Baptist Hospital, and at this point in time, right, I, I guess there was a couple screws loose, you know. Uh, I was losing my shit a little bit. But <laughs> I was pretty charming with, like, the nurses and some of the doctors, and they, you know, took my blood, they took, like, my my levels and shit like that. Like, this kid's, this kid's gonna have a fucking heart attack. Holy shit. They took my piss. My piss was brown. It, if that tells you how much I was, like, taking it as far as, like, water goes, right? And I'm making the nurse that I'm talking to laugh, this Jamaican guy. And I make a joke about killing my parents. <laughs> that he enjoyed a lot, right? 
But the doctor behind him was like, nah, son. <laughs> we got to Baker Act this full. So, <laughs> yeah. I, that's another thing, too. If you're, ever, if you're ever in a hospital, right, regularly, if you go, like, I want to kill or I want to kill myself, they're going to Baker Act you, whether you're a patient or not. It's like an actual fucking thing. I didn't know that. I don't know. I'm a comedian. I don't know when to shut the fuck up. (laughs) You know what's fucked up? The piss that I took, right? No one even tested that, and it was brown, and it was just sitting in the corner. I'm like, no one's going to look at that? No one's going to, like, put it through, like, a machine and be like, oh, yeah, like, liver failure. There's something, like, for me, you know? So anyway... They did the diagnosis of me being like, okay, we got to institutionalize this kid around like 6 p.m. I didn't know about it at all because they don't tell you, hey, uh, we're going to send you to a loony bin for a bit. They don't let you know at all because they're afraid you might try to run away or something, right? So they have to do it very sneakily. And finally, about eight hours pass by. It's the middle of the night. And uh, an ambulance comes to take me. I'm like, why is this ambulance here? I mean, my mom could just pick me up and take me home. Clearly, I'm fine. Uh, (laughs) And I'm in the ambulance, right? And it's it's a far drive. It's like, Jesus Christ, this is taking a long time. Yeah, like, my house is right around the corner. And then they take me to this hospital. And I was like, holy shit. Uh, They took me to a hospital called Southern Winds. Oh, oh, shit's right. Well, <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> well, do you know about Southern Winds? It, it's awful, right? Yeah. It's dog shit. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> I, I got I to gotta say this first. I don't speak any Spanish, right? And every single employee that was working the night shift only spoke Spanish. And we're completely fucking rude, right? (laughs) So I go in there and I take off, the the lady makes me take off all my clothes and I'm in front of her with, you know, not much really going on down there. Uh, And it's kind of weird and embarrassing. I'm in the room and they, like, they they keep me there for a while. I'm trying, I keep trying to, like, cross the line of, like, the door because you're not allowed to leave your fucking room. So this is what I'm looking at, by the way, from across the doorway because the doors are open. There's these two old Cuban men that are simultaneously taking turns taking pisses on each other, right? They're, They're these two old Cubans, right, that were just taking their dicks out and peeing on one another, they would take turns doing it because right? they're buddies or something. You know? <laughs> and I'm looking at that, and I'm like, that's going to be me if I don't get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. I got to figure out <laughs> this is bullshit. And no one's nice to me there. No one's nice. It's the middle of the night. It's 3 o'clock in the night, and it's like I'm dealing with a bunch of Cuban vampires. Just, ah, no, I'm English. <laughs> No, I'm English. <laughs> and finally, like, they get, like, the big orderly to, like, come through, right, to try to put me, like, in check. And I was like, dude, I'll, at this point in time, I don't give a fuck. I'm five foot four. You're six foot eight. If you cross this line now, I will fucking kill you. I'm dead serious, bro. Fuck off, solidly. And 
I was fi- I finally broke down eventually because I realized like oh sh- again five days without any sleep you're fucking losing your shit. Uh, I finally broke down. I started crying. I'm like Jesus Christ. Like this is it. This is like uh, they're gonna lobotomize me. They're gonna legitimately just like go ahead and go. A lo- Anyone know what a lobotomy is? Yeah. yeah so uh, that's when like you take like a thing. Like imagine like a like, a, like an ice pick, right? And you take a hammer and you go to the eyes. And then you disconnect the brain completely, right? This was a practice that was pretty popular back then. I wasn't pretty sure if it was popular now, but I didn't want to find out. Uh, <laughs> so finally I went like, fuck it. I need to escape. So, looking, watching the door, and I figured, I'm like, okay, I, I'm fat, but I'm also as agile as a puma, right? <laughs> And I can go ahead and jump on top of this desk and tiptoe, then jump and run for the door, open the door, find a police officer. By the way, I thought this whole time I was in West Kendall. I wasn't. I was in fucking Hialeah. (laughs) So (laughs) I could go up to anyone within a three-mile radius, and I wouldn't be able to talk to them at all. Just all fucking Spanish, (laughs) you know? So I go ahead. And I hop on top of the desk. This guy doesn't hear me, right? And I'm tiptoeing on the desk. And finally, I crack a pencil. And he turns and looks and just sees my fat ass looking at him like, oh, shit. <laughs> and he goes and he grabs my hand. And I'm doing that thing that, like, the undertaker would do when he walks on the tightrope and then does, like, boom. <laughs> like, I'm doing that, right? Finally, he pulls me in, and it's like, all right, ding, ding, I got to fight now. Uh, and I'm doing really good, by the way. Uh, this guy, again, this guy's like six foot seven, I'm five foot four. And I'm holding my own together, this motherfucker. Another thing that you have to keep in mind, too, is that they take away shoelaces from your shoes, and they take away your belt because you could harm yourself with that. So I am a big boy, and I depend on belts to hold up my pants, right? And... At this point in time, my pants were nowhere up here. They're all the way down here. So my dick's just flapping around as I'm fighting this guy. <laughs> um, so I, I, I teabagged him one time. <laughs> I'll be honest, trying to get away. And finally, I push him to the side. I jump over the desk again. I see another door. I'm trying to open it. It doesn't open. He grabs me. He's got a good hold on me finally. And I'm like, oh, shit. I got to really go for high water here. I get underneath like this, right, and I bit him. <laughs> like, I bit him on his side, and, yeah, this is going to get very vivid, by the way, guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm warning the men in the audience right now. And as I'm biting him, I was like, fuck it, dude. I got to go for high water. And I grabbed his nuts and twisted them. <laughs> like, as far as I could fucking twist. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're, like that from this dude and every member of their working staff all of a sudden decided to come in and help right so I have eight people that are on top of me and they're like holding they're like holding me they're pushing me inside an elevator and the adrenaline's really pumping up at this point I'm like holy shit this is fucking real son you know and they're holding me against the wall in the elevator and the lead doctor is threatening to sedate me by saying, I'm going to punch you in the fucking face if you don't calm down. 
I'm going to punch you in the face, you know, because that's what you want to hear from a medical professional. Uh, <laughs> um, they finally go ahead and they put me in isolation, right? Like this specific room that was called the blue room, uh, <laughs> which uh, it's, a, it's a room that's painted completely blue on all sides and on the ceiling. And it, they didn't do a good job on it. It looked piss poor. It didn't really feel like a cloud or anything like that. And I'm now, uh, um, they have a mattress on the floor. And clearly they have never cleaned this fucking mattress. It was the most, dis- I'm very hygienic, right? Uh, they, they've never cleaned this fucking mattress. It's disgusting. And I had to lay on it as they gave me a shot in the ass to try to get me to calm down. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> to try to get me to calm down, right? And I still didn't go out, guys. I still didn't fall asleep. Imagine, that's the, that's the good night shot that people give you, right? And I'm still just fucking wired, bro. I'm, now the door's closed, right? And I'm just like, yeah, I'm locked in there. I'm like, I swear to God, I'm gonna get everyone here fucking deported. <laughs> Fuck all of you. <laughs> Fuck all of you, ta da 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 yelling at the top of my lungs. And then, like, finally someone came in and goes, if you calm down, like, like in Spanish, something like, calm down, yeah, 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 and I go, fine, but you're a fucking asshole, right? <laughs> and I'm there, and then finally, like, I'm there for hours. I'm there for hours, and I now, I'm dehydrated. You saw, uh, talked about the pee earlier, you know, completely like, brown. Dehydrated. And now I'm really fucking dehydrated to the point where I'm like, dude, I think I might actually like die right now. What the fuck? So it's about 11 a.m. the next morning, and they've completely forgotten I was in there, by the way. And finally, I'm like begging like for like water, like please give me water. I think I might actually die. You know. And this is now six days without sleep. Uh, and finally, uh, I hear a knock at the door. And this guy that come that is there, right, is like their gold star dude, like the guy that like they depend on. You know what I mean? They're really good worker. And he goes, "Hey man, understand this, dude. If you try to bite me, if you try to twist my nuts, I am going to hurt you. I'm gonna fuck you up. I don't give a fuck." <laughs> and I go, "Are you an American citizen? <laughs> yeah. Do you speak perfect English? Yeah." Come in here, I will not harm you. <laughs> so he comes in, and he's thinking it's going to be some giant fucking guy, and he sees me, he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. And he takes me to the room where I stay for the next five days, right? And it's, from there, it becomes kind of like a fun story and a lighthearted story, because I was actually, once I was able to sleep finally, right, uh, everything just went back to normal. Like, holy shit, I'm a person. I know who I am. Yeah, yeah, yada. And I'm surrounded by real fucking crazy people and people that want to kill themselves and people who are sad. So that period of time that I was there for five days, I was able to like talk to like people my age, young kids, and make them feel better and be like, dude, yeah, you could change this about your life. You could do this. You could do that. I really felt like almost like top dog on campus, right? <laughs> because I was the least crazy out of all of them and the least depressed. I had such a sunny disposition in comparison to everyone else. <laughs> and that's another thing too, man. Uh, they were supposed to like uh, 
put me with like someone else when I first got there, right? Instead, they put me with uh, my 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 bunkmate, I guess is what you call it. There was like bigger than the guy I fought, like seven foot something, and we became buddies, right? So I just looked like a little Al Capone <laughs> with this big Shaquille O'Neal bodyguard, right? <laughs> and it genuinely like was a, a pretty like reasonable period of time of my life where I like I look back on it now and I go fuck okay. I needed that, right? I needed that to, like, fucking straighten me out and to also help out the people that I'm still, I'm still in contact with today and their lives are better now because I got put in a mental institution. <laughs> so, guys, if you ever want to go to a mental institution, make other lives better. I recommend it. Anyway, all right, well, that's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good night, guys. Alex Tardo, ladies and gentlemen. Alex Tardo. That story was crazy. Seriously, give it up for Alex again. That couldn't have been easy to tell. Hey, you make friends with a guy that you grabbed his balls? Or that that's one of your friends too now? No? <laughs> Old twisty, huh? Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, our next storyteller, uh, she hit me up, and uh, it's her first it's her first time telling the story, ladies and gentlemen. She's a little nervous. Uh, she seems like a great person. I know a little bit about what the story is about, and it kind of feeds in nicely from the last one. And I'm really excited to hear this next story, ladies and gentlemen. Miss Mireya Alfonso. everybody. My name is Mireya. I'm really glad our previous storyteller had a story about institutional settings because that is a really great segue for me to begin this little story for you guys tonight. You can hear me better now? Okay. I guess I'll open up the story with asking a question. Um, how many of you are familiar with prison nurseries? Prison nurseries. All right, cool. What do you know about them? Not much, right? Okay, so when women are incarcerated and they are pregnant, they obviously have to give birth and they have to stay with their babies in certain situations, right? Whether it be for the health of the baby or the health of the mom. In the United States, only nine states, there are nine institutions that allow a mother to stay with her baby until the age of 18 months, more or less, roundabout. Um, and I think this is something that doesn't really get spoken about a lot when we're talking about prison reform, is what happens to these kids when they're separated from their moms in the states where they're not allowed to stay together? What are the impacts on these relationships? And ultimately, like, how does this affect the women that are having these babies and getting separated from them? Um, not something we tend to think about um, when we're talking about situations like that. It hits close to home for me because when I was 17, I found out that I had been born in a prison in Mexico, and that's where I had lived for the first three years of my life with my mom. And I consider myself very lucky to have not been separated from my mom in that situation. My mom was also really, really young. She was 20 years old. So I think it was really important for her as well to have that sense of connection in such a crazy setting. 
And when you think of prisons, you usually think of like a cell behind bars and something like really scary and not an optimum setting for a baby. However, I was born in Mexico. And because they felt that it was important for mothers to have that rehabilitation, their mentality was if it was a nonviolent crime, this is possibly the best way to get a mom motivated to get out of a bad situation in her life. She has something now to look towards that can provide her a sense of living for something, right, beyond herself. Something that can motivate her to get out of this situation. So because of that, I was very lucky. They set us up in a separate part of the prison where you have a house and you share it with another mother and her baby and you're in a community, a small insulated community within the prison of moms and children. Ultimately, I was there with my mom until I was three and I immigrated to the United States. In Mexico, it's a different kind of system. So you're guilty until you're proven innocent. And in my mom's case, she had to stay there until the judge deemed that she was innocent of any crimes. That meant also me staying with her. And when we were finally released um, and I came to the United States, it was obviously a big shock, right? Because my whole life had been inside this tiny little cottage up until that point with just my mother. And I had not been around any relatives. I hadn't been really around that many children other than a handful of kids that were in that part of the prison. So it was a real big shock to my system when I finally got to the United States. I didn't speak any English. I had no idea what was going on at first. It was really overwhelming, but I was really lucky that I landed with my family, right? And so it was a nice little insulated situation again where I was able to like kind of reintegrate with my mom into society. While it's not like the typical birth story that you tend to hear from people, I really think in this sense, in this case, this was a story about resiliency. It was a story about my mom having to like survive a situation, but also it was how I ended up processing the information when I found it. I found out at 17. I also found out at the time that the person who I thought was my father was not my real father. So it was a lot of information to process at that time. And wrapping my head around that was also how I kind of had my first realization that adults don't know what the fuck they're doing most of the time. <laughs> and oftentimes we make decisions based on emotions. And my parents and my family keeping that secret from me for such a long time was out of a sense of protection. But ultimately it just created another sense of betrayal, you know, because now I'm having to look at the people closest to me and wondering, you guys knew all along and nobody told me. And all this time I thought, this person was my father and that I had like this really idyllic childhood. And in fact, it was, it just turned everything on its head, you know? But out of that, instead of like becoming like a really bitter teenager with my parents, even in that moment, I knew that what they were doing had been for my best interest. They were trying to create a sense of normalcy for me in my childhood. And they've probably at the time felt like, you can't tell a little kid, you know, this is where you were born, these are the situations that brought us to this moment. But ultimately, I don't regret how it played out. I've never held it against my parents that they kept such a big secret from me. And in the end, it just made me feel more connected to my mom. Because I had to like really put myself outside of my own feelings to really recognize what a monumental 
sacrifice it was for her to have to have a child in prison and create this bubble of normalcy for me during those three years, right? That is not something that's easy for anybody, I think, to wrap their head around, especially at such a young age. And finding all of that out just really made my respect for her go up. It also <laughs> created um, in me a very sense, like a strong sense of um, independence. And I'm obviously a staunch feminist as, as a result. You know, I, I, yeah, for sure. Like in the most difficult moments, even in my own life, it's about self-reliance, right? It's about knowing when you have to pick yourself up, cut your losses, and move forward and grow from that experience. And this was an experience about growth, not just for me, but also for my parents, because they had to realize that I was an adult that was ready to absorb this information. And all of that really ended up bringing us closer together as adults. And it really created for me, again, this sense that my parents are not these perfect people that have the answer to everything. It created more of a sense of equality among us. And it really allowed me to become a much more empathic person at a young age um, than I had been up until that point. I just want to thank everybody for giving me a few minutes to share that story. Give it up, Mideai, ladies and gentlemen. Alfonso, give it up for her again. That was not an easy story to tell. And let's give it up for her mother, ladies and gentlemen. It couldn't have been easy at all. And uh, so much props to your mother. Um, if you guys want to hear these or any other stories, uh, go to unclescotchy.com. There's a link to the Spotify. And uh, share them with your friends. Um, it's starting to do well. There's all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. You never know when you meet somebody. I would never say, oh, she was born in prison. You don't know about people when you meet them. And this is a really good way to find out uh, some things like that. Um, also, in case you didn't notice, my friend over here, uh, he's got a little hat on, Uncle Scotchy hat, if you guys want to kind of support the cause and uh, hit me up about a comfortable yet stylish Uncle Scotchy hat. Um, it's a good gift. It's, uh, it's good for everything. Um, we've had a male person before, and now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to have our first Polish male person coming up here, ladies and gentlemen. Joanna Blaskowitz, ladies and gentlemen. Come on up, baby. Hey, guys. I have to make a disclaimer to this story. By, by, seriously, by no means, I'm not trying to be political. My, whatever I'm going to tell you, those are not my opinions. Those are my literal experiences. So please don't take it as I'm trying to, you know, be political, like I said. So I was born and raised in Poland. I was born in 1968, which there you go. Now I just gave my age away. Um, at the time when I was growing up, Poland was kind of mixed up. It was communism, socialism. It depends where you look. You Google, some sources will tell you it was socialism. Some sources will tell you what was communism. What I'm going to tell you was, it was, it sucked, basically. Um... <laughs> Well, it sucked now, I see it that way, because when I was growing up, we didn't know any better. So we were doing our thing. You know, we grew up as kids. Our parents partied. We used to drink vodka. I mean, not us as kids, but as our parents. Um, 
there was a lot of parties going on and, you know, everybody was getting on, getting on, but we really didn't know anything about what was going on in the world because we were so suppressed. We were just not allowed to be involved in anything that was going on on the other side. Okay, as the time went on, the world changed, the politics changed, um, there was information leaking, leaking in. I remember my, um, my family getting together for a party, of course, with bottles of vodka, sitting with the radio, listening to what was called Radio Free Europe, <clears throat> and they were talking about what was going on in the West and stuff, and they were like, yeah, we have to do this, yeah, this, this is all bullshit, you know, whatever's going on here. But nobody could do anything about it. We had two TV channels. Um, it was all political, except for, like, kids' cartoons, whatever, the kids, we did have cartoons. Um, when I was a teenager, we did get some movies, like we were allowed to see Kojak, Anybody remembers Kojak, Colombo? <laughs> um, I don't know, there was a show called Space 1999, which we all loved it. I still, I just watched it on Netflix. It was like, oh my God, my childhood, there it is, there is Commander, there is Helena, you know. But um, we, we didn't really have any access to like the Western world. Um, then we started getting stories of people trying to escape, which meant usually people were escaping to Germany. And there were stories about the German wall that on the western side in, in western Berlin, the wall has graffiti painted on, there is a party going on, everybody's like dancing and singing. On the eastern side, there is a barbed wire. There are soldiers with Kalashnikovs or whatever, AKs-47, standing just waiting for somebody trying to get under. Or some people were actually trying to get over in the freaking hot air balloons. Can you believe that? But it's, it's, it's true. They really tried. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you guys know this, Donald Trump's first wife, Ivana Trump, I think he was from Czechoslovakia. She escaped... She was a skier. She was an Olympic skier. That's how she escaped Czechoslovakia. She skied through the mountains to Austria. Seriously. No, it's true. It's, 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 it's really true. <laughs> Anybody was just, would just do anything to get the fuck out of there, okay? But, um, you know... So, but as a, as a kid, you know, you have your parents, you have your parties, you have your family, like, what else do you need? Then as a teenager, you know, it was a very um, gray society. There was no colors. We all lived in buildings. I don't know if any of you ever saw the Chernobyl series. There were, like, blocks, and, yeah, we all kind of lived in those two bedrooms, little houses, uh, not houses, like buildings, apartments. Um, we made our own colors. But um, like I said, as the time kept going on, we got more and more information. And you guys were gods. You, I mean Americans. America was the god we all worshipped. Now, Poland's a very Catholic country. <laughs> so that didn't go very well with the Catholic church, with the priest. But, you know, no, no, no. It was kind of like, I guess, like what uh, Islam countries feel now, like America is bad. That's what they were telling us. No, no, no. You don't want to look there. You don't want to go there. You don't. No, 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 no. It's so bad. But everybody's dream was 
to get out and to go to America. Of course, that was totally virtually impossible for anybody. Um, well, guess who got out? <laughs> um, thank you. But um, I, um, I, um, when I was about 13 years old, there was a coup in Poland. There was a workers' union called Solidarity that decided enough of the shit. We're standing up for our people. We're going to knock it over. And there was a guy. His name was Lech Wałęsa. I don't know. I'm sure you guys... I don't know if anybody heard of him. He was actually... He became a first Polish president after all said and done. Um, they kind of caused like a revolution, which ended up very badly for all of us. Because in 1981, Polish government brought in a martial law because of it. Now, that wasn't exactly their fault. It was because there were Russian tanks on the border and they threatened to come in unless something is done about it. Because, of course, you know, they didn't want to... Poland is, and Russia are bordering each other. And Poland was a source of a lot of, um, you know, stuff for Russia. And they didn't want to lose that. So they said, you guys either do something about it or not, which we found out, like, literally 10 years ago. This was never told to us. So they brought in the martial law. It was December 13, 1981. It was Sunday. I will never forget. It was a winter. It was fucking horrible. It was cold. The snow was like up to here. We're all going to church. We're coming home trying to turn the TV on. There is no TV. There is nothing. And all of a sudden, this, this soldier dude comes on and tells us, this is what's going on. The country is closed. We're on the lockdown. You have a martial law. You have a curfew. Nobody can use the car. There is no school. You all just stay home. And like within a few hours, we have Russian tanks rolling and Polish army tanks rolling through our streets, you know, like literally, dum, 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 dum. You know, we're all like, oh. My mother panicked. She's like, pack your shit. We're going to the grandma's. We, it's a war. We're like, get in the basement. I'm like, mom, what's going on? You know, I'm like happy. I'm like 13 years old. Yay, no school, you know. What did I know? But um, it lasted for over a year. Nobody could leave Poland. Nobody could come in. It was basic. It, it was a lockdown. A lot of people got arrested. The Solidarity, the Workers' Union representatives, my godfather was one of them. He spent like five years in jail. Even though the thing was, the martial law was lifted like a year and a half later, he was not released from jail for five years. So it was, it was, it was bad. I mean, we were, we were terrified. We really were. It was um, creepy. And the reason I said I'm not trying to get political, now that I see all this censoring and all this shit going on, this kind of scares me, you guys. But whatever. Um, so I always said, you know, I don't know how I knew this, like, I'm going to come to America. I don't want to live here. Somehow I will either go under that wall or I'm going to get on my hot air balloon and fly over something, sometimes, somewhere, somehow. So when I was in high school, I met a guy. He was an exchange student from America. <laughs> Go figure. His name was Jim Hope. Boy, did he give me hope. <laughs> uh -huh. He looked just like John Lennon. <laughs> Literally. And the bad thing about it was he was dating my friend. 
but when we met, we just looked at each other and I swear, you guys, it was a love of first sight. We just like, ah, oh, you know. So he dumped my friend, which I still feel guilty about, of course, but, I, you, but karma is a bitch, you'll see why. <laughs> And we started dating, and um, he was studying a history of Eastern Europe. He was a student of Washington University, and he was in Poland for a year, and we, we, we spent every waking moment together. We were inseparable. He was spending every moment he could with my family. We thought in Polish, which he kind of knew a little bit, with the really funny accent, like what I have now in English. He had that in Polish. And... Um, you know, and, um, you know, like I said, love of first sight, you know, sex was great. I never had a sex with American. I mean, I was like, wow, this is really great. He was uncircumcised. I've never seen that before. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's the story. I was like, what is that? Where is it? Where is it? <laughs> you know, he's like, oh, where's what? <laughs> But, um, so we got engaged, we got, we got, en we got engaged, <laughs> but of course, because, <laughs> because it was impossible, virtually impossible to get a visa to America, his parents had to sponsor me, which they did. So Jim came back to America, finished his last year. He was going to Yale after that. He was a really smart guy. I was still in high school. I was ready to go, like right then and there, but my mother said, no, you need to graduate high school. Thank God she did that. Because, you know, of course, mothers, you know, they know better. <laughs> so he came back, then he went, came back to the stage, then he came back to, it was kind of like back and forth anyway. So his parents sponsored me and we were on the phone all the time. We, oh my God, it was a love story of a century, you guys, like literally. I, I, I can't even, you know, I was so sure my future was set. I didn't apply to any colleges, of course, all my friends did. Supposedly I was smart, but I was like, screw that, I'm going to America, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna be married, I'm gonna be Mrs. Hope. <laughs> so I did get the visa actually, because I lied. I told them that I was, I applied for university and I was going to study biology and this was just a vacation. And since his parents put in their two cents, you know, yeah, we're paying for her trip, she's going to stay with us, which was all true. They were like, okay, you can go. I'm like, oh, I can go. Oh my gosh, I can go. So all the preparations to go, you know. We got gifts for all his family, my mother. I'm an only child and my parents are divorced. So my mother was practically, you know, in hysterics from the moment I got the visa. She told me later, I prayed the whole time that you won't get it. I'm like, mom, you're a bitch. Like, how could you, you know? <laughs> but anyways, um, you know, it, it was going good. Like my whole family, my grandfather came to say goodbye. I said goodbye to all my friends. I had no future in Poland at that point because after high school, I did nothing to ensure any future for myself. The day that I was leaving for the airport to come to the States, my hope called me and said, I'm sorry, we're not gonna get married. I have another girlfriend. Yeah. 
So, of course, after a fall of profanities that, you know, every bad word that I could ever manage, I hung up the phone. I went into my parents' room, which was full of people, neighbors, family, saying goodbye to me because we were leaving in like a few hours to take me to the airport. I poured myself a big, tall glass of vodka and drank it. And that's when the shit really hit the fan. My mother's like, <laughs> my mother's like unpacking my shit, unpacking it back. She's like, you're not going. Yes, I am. You're not going. Yes, I am. So my mother called him and like, you know, you motherfucker, what's wrong with you? Blah, blah. And he, you know, he, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I know, mom was awesome. But no, he said, he, you know, he's like, no, I want, I want you to come. I want you to come. I want you to come from vacation. I just don't, we're just not going to get married. I'm sorry. I fell in love with this girl. And, and, you know, I mean, yeah, I still want you to come. So I did. I was like, you know what? If nothing comes out of it, I'm coming. I, who, I mean, out of this situation, at least I get a vacation, right? In America. And um, I landed in New York. And when I saw the New York skyline, you guys, I cried. It was as if I stepped into a freaking movie set, okay? That's how emotional it was for me. That's, you don't even realize what it's like for people like us, like me, that just can see this on the movie screen to actually see it in real life. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And of course, I mean it. It's still, it's still, when I think about it now, it's, it, it's emotion, it brings emotions because I will never, ever forget that moment. Of course, we made a beeline. Of course, he was there. He did pick me up. We made a beeline for the bar. The problem was I was 18. I just turned 18. Drinking age in Poland was 18. And, you know, he had to buy my drinks because, you know, here was 21, which sucked. But... <laughs> But, and of course, you know, the old story always happens. He saw me, oh, I made a mistake. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. But no, it didn't work. It didn't work. Now, you can imagine my dismay when years later I found out that he actually went back to Poland after we were all broken up because I spent the next two years crying and drunk after I decided that I'm not going back home you know, even after we separated and stuff, it's another story. I'm not even going to get into this, how I stayed here. But he went back to Poland, the motherfucker, and got married to another woman and has a child. And my mom, when I told my mom that, she was like, I knew the air in this country was putrid lately. And I'm like, you know, I love you so much. But he got divorced. <laughs> yeah. And then he became a USAID director. So he's a big deal. Well, I just found, we found each other on Facebook. So when I messaged him, I said, hello, wah, 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 whatever. And he's like, oh my gosh, you're the Joanna from Poland days. And I'm like, oh my God, you changed my whole freaking life, mine and my family. And to you, I'm just a Joanna from Poland days. What is wrong with you? You know? But I just found out a few months ago that he got married again in Poland. I saw it on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, the dude is like obsessed with Polish chicks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
once you go Polish, you can't go back. I mean, you know, but seriously, so I posted on Facebook after all these beautiful wedding pictures and stuff. I just said spreading hope in Poland since 1997, huh? <laughs> he blocked me. He blocked me. <laughs> Anyways, so here I am, 33 years later, I work for the United States Postal Service. I have a son, not by him. And you guys have been great. Thank you so much for letting me get this off my chest. Yes. Great job, baby. Great job. Give it up for Joanna, ladies and gentlemen. Hope springs eternal, doesn't it? Uh, I appreciate your uh, engagement and everything. And thanks to Bar Nancy for having us and making this happen. We've been doing this since September. Before September, we did the podcast starting in September. So thank you to Ben. It's thinned out a little bit. The hardcore storyteller fans are here. Thanks, you guys, for coming out. I really appreciate um, a lot. Uh, let's give it up for all our storytellers tonight, ladies and gentlemen. We don't all get flowers, but... Sometimes it happens. Um, this one reached out to me, and I know what her story's about, and I'm stoked to hear it, and it's gonna be awesome. So, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Sharon Pfeiffer. I hope you don't mind, but I'm gonna sit, because there's not a lot of people here. So I figure you guys are sitting, so I'm gonna sit too. Is that all right? You guys don't mind, right? We're casual, right? We're all hanging out. I came here in 1998 from New York. I was a mob wife, for real. I know people sometimes giggle when they hear that. They go, <laughs> mob wife. <laughs> I watched that TV show. I really was. I married into it, and um, I left in 98 to get out of it, to reinvent myself, because it's not a good life. It's a bad life. The person I was with at the time was, um, very abusive, not physically, by the way. He was just very mentally abusive. Um, I was brought up, I'm one of uh, six children. I have four brothers and one sister. And I was brought up to believe that I was equal to my brothers. Now, women, girls, you can understand this and appreciate that. So I was brought up very badass, okay? Very badass. So to be um, held down by a man was something very foreign to me, and it was repulsive to me. But that was the life I was living because I was a mob wife. And once you're in that life, you really can't get out. 
I don't know if you guys understand that or believe that or, you know, you've watched enough movies, right? Goodfellas and all that stuff. Um, you watch Sopranos, right? Edie Falco. Um, my girl, I love her. But um, a lot of it is fictionalized, but I lived it. So in order for me to get away from that, um, I had to literally leave. I, ha I owned two nail salons at the time. And I literally packed up uh, a U-Haul. I left my family and my friends, my two nail salons, all my employees in the middle of the night, and I left. And if you don't believe it, you can Hulu it, you can Netflix it, you can Amazon Prime it for a dollar fucking 99. I married a mobster, Discovery Channel. Season two, episode three, Sharon McDonald. I know Irish, right? You're like, what? Sharon McDonald? I thought it was gonna be Sharon bada bing bada boom. No. Sharon McDonald. Season two, episode three, The Rule Breaker. Look it up. That's me. Really happened. And you'll see that I'm not lying to you guys. I'm telling you the truth. But I did. I left in the middle of the night. You haul truck. And I came down here to reinvent myself. And I thought I was so fucking smart. I went to real estate school. Now, any real estate agents here? I'm sure every one of you are a real estate agent, right? What do they do when they go to real estate school? What do we do? We get fingerprinted, don't we? Well, I did. And I'm sitting in real estate school like a little, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna be a real estate agent. I'm so excited. And I get a text. Not a text, because that's not what we had. I forget what it was. I got, I, oh, my beeper. <laughs> my beeper. Because it was 1998, people. And he was out in the parking lot. True story. He followed me down here. Anyway, I'm gonna move a little forward. I ended up getting a lifetime restraining order against that person. Now you can look that up too. There aren't many lifetime restraining orders handed out. Most women get 60 day, 90 day, one year, but whatever, whatever, whatever. I have a lifetime restraining order against that person. And I decided there and then that I was gonna reinvent myself. I was gonna do what I wanted to do since I'm a little girl. I was gonna become an actor. I always wanted to act. I always wanna be an actress since I'm little. Well, in between all of that, I ended up meeting someone. I got remarried, um, shorty 240 I call him. We're divorced now, whatever. That's the Florida thing to do, right? Come down from another state, you find somebody, then you get married, you get divorced, whatever. Anyway, right? Whatever. Anyway, what I'm really here to tell you guys about 
is one of the greatest auditions that, have, that has ever happened. Ladies, I want you to listen to this. I don't care how old you are. You're in your 20s, you're in your 30s, you're in your 40s. I'm pushing 60. I'm a grandmother. Yeah, who, who, whatever. <laughs> whatever. There was a movie that was filmed here a couple of years ago. Are any of you familiar with Harmony Kareen? Spring Breakers, Gummo, The Kids. Any of you? He's a cult classic director. He's a world famous artist. He's very, he's a savant. He's amazing. He's incredible. I didn't know who the fuck he was. I didn't. I'm, a, I'm proud, not proud to admit that, but you know, I'm from Long Island. I, I didn't know who he was, okay? Anyway, my agent says to me, Sharon, there's a movie going to be filming here. I'm going to send you out on this audition. I said, okay. He says, you're going to go and be the drug counselor. I said, okay, I went for the drug counselor. Then he calls him up, he says, okay, now we're gonna send you for the lawyer. Okay, I went for that audition. Then he sends me for this next audition, I went for that audition. Then he calls him up and says, Sharon, you're gonna go for the prostitute. Ay, 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 what the fuck? I went for, now by the way, I'm a SAG actor, Screen Actors Guild actor, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure you're all looking at me going, all right, who cares? Anyway. I go for this prostitute scene, audition, and I walk in. <sighs> there is 100 other actresses there. Anybody here that's like in their 20s? Can you girls raise your hands, anybody? Anybody? I can't really see you, but if there is, well, fuck you. You young little fucker. I walk into this audition room, this audition, you know, casting um, place. I don't know why my agent sent me here to, to audition. All these women were 20-year-old Playboy bunnies. Victoria's Secret models. One was more stunning than the other. Now, don't get me wrong. I know I'm, I'm okay for my age. I look okay. I'm proud of myself. I'm not beating myself up. But these girls were stunning. I walked in. I looked around. I got my phone out. I said, Marty, are you fucking kidding me? Why? Why did you send me here? He goes, Sharon, just, I said, no, I'm leaving. He said, Sharon, you drove all the way to Miami. I live in Boca, by the way. Can you tell? <laughs> anyway, he said, Sharon, just stay there. Just do the audition. All right, so I do the fucking audition to be the prostitute. By the way, let me tell you about the movie. It's a Harmony Korean movie, so you already know, guys. It's going to be a crazy fucking movie. And it's with Matthew McConaughey. So he says, Sharon, just stay. I said, all right, I'll stay. But I was pissed off as a motherfucker. Can you imagine? I'm 55 years old at the time. The whole room is filled with you. Whore. No, I'm only kidding. So. 
Anyway, I do the audition and I leave. A week later, Marty calls him up. He goes, Shannon, you got a callback. A callback is like a second, uh, you know, like a job interview. If you guys were going on a job interview and now you get a call and they say, we would like you to come back for the second job interview. Oh my God, how amazing. I said, for what, the lawyer, the drug counselor, what? He goes, the prostitute. The prostitute? Right? I said, you're kidding me. All right, great. Now, usually when you go for a, a callback, they usually bring back 20 girls, not 100. I go to the callback, there's 150. You hearing me, people? 150 now. I walked in, I was like, are you fucking kidding me, Marty? I called him up, I was like, Marty, I'm leaving. <laughs> so, he said, Sharon, just stay. Now, P.S., now what they're doing with the 150 girls, they're walking around saying, are you willing to do nudity? Now, P.S., people, this is three weeks after the whole Harvey Weinstein thing. Right. Are you willing to do nudity? What? I'm a grandmother. Nudity next to that one? No, I'm not. So the girls who are willing to do nudity, they get a little sticker, like the scarlet letter, for those of you who are interested. I, so I said, no, put the fucking N on that one over there. Don't give me an N, I'm not doing nudity. No. So I'm sitting there like all uptight with a cork up my ass. I was so pissed off. <laughs> me and the three other grandmothers are in the corner, all like, rah, 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 rah. You know, we were so angry. And they're going around, and there's 150 girls. And what they're doing is they're taking five women in at a time. So now, can you picture this? Yes? You're all picturing this. Like a cattle call. So, now that it's time for me to go in with my little group of fucking spe four spectacular playboy bunnies. Now, I know I've got to do something here to win my place in this Matthew McConaughey fucking film. So what do I have? I got nothing, I got ugats, I got a big red flower in my hair, I got a fucking outfit on, and I have eight inch heels. But I got legs for days, and I have huge tits. And I am very funny. So, and I am an actress. So I let the four Playboy bunnies walk in first, because I know they're always gonna look at the last one. That's what happens. They're gonna go boop, boop, boop. Now, Tabitha, Tatiana, Michelle, and Tiffany walk in ahead of me. And what do they do? They do the catwalk. They all go like this. Like they're at the fucking pageant. Not Sharon, not Sharon. What does Sharon do? I knew I have to do something. So, do you guys watch I Love Lucy? I hope. Okay. Well, you know I Love Lucy. I walked in and I went like this. Now, I have a halter dress on. Halter. So, what I did, I went like that. That's what I did. The guy on the couch started laughing. 
Who's the guy on the couch? Harmony Kareen. Now, I didn't know that that was Harmony Kareen because I don't know who the fuck Harmony Kareen is. And thank God I didn't know it was Harmony Kareen because if I had, I probably wouldn't have done it, right? I would have been scared. So now they ask us to do, uh, say our name and do a 360. So Tiffany, Michelle, Tatiana, and the other Kamasikyama, whatever the fuck her name was, they're all doing, you know, whatever they do. I can't even walk in these shoes. So they do their thing, and what do I do? One of these, I just do this thing. Thank God Harmony's laughing. Now remember, kids, this thing is a comedy. Thank God. So I know I got him. I got him. I'm making this guy laugh. I don't know who he is. Anyway, they send us all out. We are 150 women are waiting. And the casting director comes out and says, if we call your name, please stay. And if we don't, you can leave. They come out and announce 40 are 20 women, like Miss America. And what do they do? They call my number uh, with 20 other women. You know, 20, uh, 19N, 10N, 8N, 15N, 50N, 30N, ba 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 n ba 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 n and 19. That's me, that's me. So anyway, Sharon, Grandma, and the other 20-year-olds, we all get called in. I get called in. I get called back into the room. And in the audition room, when I finally get called in, they call us in two by two. This all really happened, guys, with Harmony Kareen. And I don't know who the fuck he is. And I walk in. And now it, I'm looking right at the guy. I'll pretend you are him. And as soon as I walked in, he goes, I don't want you for this part. I said, what? He goes, I don't want you for this part. I go, then what the fuck am I doing here? And that was just the New York in me, because I was like, why am I here? And he goes, I want you for another scene. But can you do nudity? Ah, here we go. Here we go with the nudity. I said, you got all these other girls to do the nudity. I'm not, you know, I don't have an N. I don't want to do nudity. But in my head, girls, I'm thinking, it's Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> shut, shut up, stop being so stupid. It's Matthew McConaughey. So he says, shut up. He says to me, Are you, well, don't say no yet. Can I explain the scene to you before you say no to me? I said, yeah, give it your best shot. I was so annoyed because I'm thinking, you know, um, Harvey Weinstein, and this guy's trying to tell me to be nude, and I already said, don't be nude. And he goes, it's you and Matthew McConaughey, and you're in a bar, and it's quick shots, and then you two end up in the bathroom, and you're fucking each other, right? So I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, that sounds good, but as an actor, I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> fuck that. Because that is not good for an actor, because there's no dialogue. 
and all I am would is the whore fucking Matthew McConaughey. But, and this is all going really fast, guys. I'm thinking really fast. I'm like, Sharon, don't ruin it for yourself. Don't sabotage it. But you got to think fast. So I go like this. I go, I'll tell you what. If you give me dialogue, Joanna, I will maybe think about it. So he starts laughing, Harmony Kareen, by the way. And he jumps up and he goes, if you wear that flower, by the way, I had this big giant red flower in my hair, and that dress, and those eight inch heels, and everything, just the way you look right now, and you show up to set just like that, I guarantee you, you will have dialogue. Now, if, are there any actors here in the house? Anybody? Anybody here? Okay, then you understand, you in the corner, that what I just negotiated with Harmony Kareen, a sag after feature film with Matthew McConaughey, getting fucked by Matthew McConaughey in a feature film was huge for an actress. By the way, that scene was written for a 20-year-old Latina girl with thick thighs that had no dialogue. So the, ca the girl behind the camera, the casting director, is looking like this. And I'm like, now my legs started to shake. Now I was like, oh my God. I'm negotiating something here that I, like, what? Yeah, let it go. So I was like, um, should I have my people call your people? Yeah. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, and I looked over at Lashana, that's the casting director, and she was like, and he, he goes to me, Harmony, you know, my grandmother didn't look like you. And I said, Oh, I didn't even tell you guys this. I said, you know, um, I don't want to be nude. I have a grandson that's going to watch this one day. And that's why I was like really adamant about not being no nude. And he said, my grandmother didn't look like you. And Lashana screams out from behind the camera, I'm a grandmother. <laughs> and I said, my grandmother didn't look like me either. And meanwhile, the whole thing was so, in that instant, I thought to myself, Right there in the audition room, people, I was a mob wife that couldn't even, like, drive my own car, that couldn't even do anything, that couldn't even have a life, that I left New York in the middle of the night to get away from my life so that I could have freedom to be my own person, to be my own woman, to have my own life, to pursue my own dreams, to get the fuck away from an abuser. And, and here I am negotiating a fucking contract with a world-famous director that I didn't know who he was to, to fuck Matthew McConaughey on a 50-foot screen. And then my agent wouldn't negotiate higher pay for me because I was nude and I insisted on it, which I got that fucking pay. Thank you, Mom. And he, I got goosebumps talking about it because that scene was written for, t no offense to you, sweetheart, back there. 
That scene was written for a 20-something-year-old Latina beautiful girl, and I was 55 years old at the time, and he gave it to me. It was like, what? Wait, what? That is fucking feminism in all, in all. It's beautiful fucking glory. And that's all I'm gonna say about, oh, I got goosebumps. In, it's all I'm gonna say about that. That's it, that's my journey, that's the story I'm gonna tell. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was fucking badass. <laughs> Give it for Sharon Pfeiffer, ladies and gentlemen, one last time. Please, please, please. That was badass as fuck. I'm going to re-listen to that, too, and get inspired before I have to do some shit that I got to do. Like, if, if I got to do some shit that's hard, I'm going to listen to Sharon's story on my podcast and listen to it. Thanks again for being here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Get it for Joanna, ladies and gentlemen, too. She got flowers. You, deserve, you should give her half your flowers. <laughs> you, should, yeah, you should split the flowers up, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we got some cool storytellers next, next week, too. I'm telling one as well. Uh, thanks for everybody here. Uh, thanks for hanging out. And um, I appreciate you. I appreciate everybody that's coming over here, whether you listen to the podcast or not. And uh, it's just cool to hear these little surprises. Oh, shit. What's up, Janet? <laughs> Hope to see you guys again next week, ladies and gentlemen. Take care. Thank you.